You're listening to the free preview episode of On Belief, a podcast about cults by Karen Geyer. To hear the entire episode, go to patreon.com forward slash Karen Geyer, K-A-R-E-N-G-E-I-E-R, and sign up. It's only $5 for the entire series. This is On Belief, a podcast about cults by Karen Geyer. Episode 1, What is a Cult? With guest Rick Allen Ross of the Cult Education Institute. It's a question posed by none other than Bart Simpson in 1998. Church, cult, cult, church. So we get bored someplace else every Sunday. Does this really change our day-to-day lives? It's a valid question. The common religions we know today didn't start out with widespread acceptance. But there are fundamentally different ways cults operate to your local Episcopalian church. Typical churches don't ask you to sign over your assets. They don't encourage you to go into debt or to quit your job to support them. They also don't pressure you to disconnect from people who don't hold your same views. Most people can watch Scientology in the Aftermath or Wild Wild Country and know those shows are about cults. But what about that yoga school down the street from you? What are those kids in the subway stations always trying to talk to you about? What about that business skills seminar that's happening at the local Marriott? Are those gateways to a cult? What separates my friend's church from a group that is controlling of its followers? With me to discuss all of this and more is Rick Allen Ross, author of Cults Inside and Out and the man behind the Cult Education Institute. Welcome, Rick. Rick, can you give us the textbook definition of a cult? Well, you know, in my book, Cults Inside Out, there's a whole chapter devoted to defining a destructive cult. There are three core characteristics. One, there is an absolute totalitarian leader who is the defining element and driving force of the group, and that leader becomes an object of worship. So the leader is is the is the hub if you will of a wheel and and everyone else is a spoke or another part of the wheel and if that hub is removed the group collapses and that's why so many groups collapse after the leader dies and then the second characteristic is that the leader uses a, a synthesis of coercive persuasion thought reform and influence techniques to gain undue influence over the the members of the group. And that can best be seen by people in the group acting consistently against their own best interest, but repeatedly uh, in the best interest of the leader of the group. So you have people working for free, abusing their children per the doctrine of the leader, denying medical care uh, or or neglecting medical care for themselves because of the group's doctrine or committing crimes uh, that the leader dictates or whatever it is not in their best interest to do it they may they may be criminally prosecuted their children suffer they suffer they're broke they work for free they give up their money and they're, they're, they have nothing. They max out their credit cards. But the leader benefits consistently. So, so that's when you see the effects of undue influence in a pattern. 
And then finally, number three would be that the group itself is destructive, which would define it as a destructive cult. Uh, so the group does harm, and that, that may vary by degree from group to group. For example, not every group is equally destructive. There are some groups that are much more destructive than others. So if you look at groups on a continuum, let's say one to 10, there are groups that are a three, there are groups that are a four, there are groups that are a 10. A 10 would be uh, Jonestown, Charlie Manson. And then there are groups that exploit people financially and, and exploit them for free labor, but are not uh, stockpiling weapons, involved in criminal activities, abusing children, or, or sexually abusing or exploiting members. And another thing to keep in mind is that you have groups like, for example, Nexium, that I followed that group from, what was it, about 2002, 2003, until today. And at one point, I would say that group was maybe a four or a five, and it got worse, and it became a seven, it became an eight, it became a nine, so it, it, it changed. So that's another thing to realize, that groups can change. They can get worse or they can get better. Let's say, for example, a really harsh controlling leader dies and there is a successor. And in my experience, there are successors when there are uh, substantial assets that the group controls uh, many of these groups have millions and millions of dollars that they control in real estate, uh, in various um, uh, assets, and there's also cash flow. And that could be from group businesses, intellectual property, contributions. So where there's millions of dollars in assets and cash flow, someone is likely to step up and say, I want to be the new leader. Or there may even be two or three people and, and power may devolve. And in that case, it could be that the group becomes less destructive as the new leadership takes control and perhaps they're less, less harsh than the previous leadership. Though I think with Scientology, you could argue that David Miscavige actually turned out to be in many ways worse than L. Ron Hubbard who was the founder of Scientology. And Miscavige is the current dictator uh, of Scientology. That is the textbook uh, the definition, and I base that definition on a paper written by a psychiatrist, Robert J. Lifton, who taught at Harvard Medical School in the 80s. And the paper was published at Harvard, and you can look it up online. It's called Cult Formation by Robert J. Lifton. So what separates a cult from a church? Well, first of all, that you, you need to understand that not all cults are even religious. For example, Nexium is not a religious group. It's a seminar selling company, a self-improvement uh, effort with a philosophy. Synanon was a drug rehabilitation community, uh, was not a religion. Bikram Yoga, for example, was not a religion, but was a personality uh, group that eventually uh, uh, the leader and founder Bikram, you know, was sued for raping women and abusing women in uh, yoga collective. 
So, so a group could be based on martial arts. It could be based on a philosophy. It could be based on yoga, meditation. It could be based on self-improvement courses. Um, it could be there was a there's a cult that I am aware of that's based on just running. So, so it isn't necessarily it could be based on dance or the arts uh, or therapy. You know, so there are numerous, there have been numerous therapy cults like the Sylvanians. So to to understand cults, you have to realize that they are not necessarily religious, though religious uh, groups called cults seem to be more prevalent, probably because it's really easy to get a 501c3 nonprofit status uh, if you define yourself in religious terms. And, and you, you have greater immunity, less transparency, et cetera. Having said that, what, what would be a difference between the majority of groups that are, quote, religious and, and have been called cults and a typical church would be democratic governance, uh, checks and balances to power within the constitution and bylaws of the church, financial transparency through annual disclosure of the church budget and all salaries and compensation paid out from church funds. And typically churches by and large belong to a denomination. So there's an additional layer of accountability through that umbrella organization. Those are very big differences. Plus uh, most of the groups that are called religious uh, cults they tend to see themselves in stark terms as the one and only organization that offers a path to salvation. So, for example, the Unification Church led by Reverend Moon or uh, the People's Temple led by Jim Jones or the Waco Davidians led by David Koresh, they each uh, saw, see themselves as exclusive. In other words, if you are not following our leader, Reverend Moon, Jim Jones, David Koresh, you are not a, a true uh, Christian following the true faith, and your organization is deeply flawed. And if you want to be truly spiritually fed and be in and, and have salvation, you must belong to our organization. And that's very different than, let's say, a Methodist or an Episcopalian who would say, you know, uh, we, we are the Methodists, but we recognize that Southern Baptists also are Christians and have salvation. Uh, we recognize that Methodists, we are all Christians, but we're in different organizations. Billy Graham, by the way, and the Pope would agree with that an analysis. So what you have in, in cults that uh, claim to be Bible-based is that they're very exclusive and they're relentlessly judging every other organization other than their own. Uh, for example, Jehovah's Witnesses. They, they believe that every organization outside of the Witnesses is under the influence of Satan. Anything from a baseball league to Boy Scouts to the United States government, and certainly every other religious organization. They alone have the truth. They alone speak for Jehovah God. And all other groups are, are 
you know, satanic. So, so that's very different from mainstream Christianity, from the Protestant denominations, from the Roman Catholic Church, from the Greek and Russian Orthodox churches. Very, very different. For more on this episode, including the rest of the interview, bonus episodes, and bonus material, including production notes, head over to patreon.com forward slash K-A-R-E-N-G-E-I-E-R. You can find Unbelief on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And you can visit the website at onbelief.com.